0: Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith.
1: So God mercifully reaches down to them in their pain and in their suffering and He lifts them up. So you see this pattern. They sin, they're chastised, there's distress, they cry out, and God delivers them. And then the cycle starts all over again. A judge dies, and they get worse off than they were before. Again, you look at our nation. We're far, far from where we were just half a century ago.
0: Reaching up high, with arms open wide, we see. You're changing our lives, so we can be our head. Today, Pastor Ed will be challenging us to remain steadfast and faithful to the Lord, especially when everything is going well in our life. The children of Israel went through a repetitive, vicious cycle in their journey with God. They were blessed by God, then they grew comfortable and worshipped idols. Then God judged them for their sin, and they eventually repented, and repeated the cycle over and over again. Don't allow yourself to fall into this cycle. Keep your focus on the Lord no matter what season you're in. Now, here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith.
1: Building in Faith I have been in a series on the book of Judges. We're going to continue that series. And I, I want to ask you, have you ever known someone, maybe they were in high school and college, and you thought, surely, they're going to go real far in life. I mean, they have success written all over them. And then you see them at maybe a 20th anniversary or something like that, or after 10 years, and and they're just, man, they haven't done anything. And it really surprises you. You look at them and you say, boy, what have they accomplished? I thought they would do so much more. Well, in the book of Judges, that's sort of the story of the people of God because in the book of Joshua they have all of these victories and they're going into the land of promise and winning all of these battles incredible miracles taking place but then when you turn to the book of judges and it has two introductions the second introduction sort of brings you back to chapter 24 of Joshua's chapter and it actually recaps some of the things that happens there and it is a flashback going back to chapter 24, and it reminds you that they had these incredible victories, but now those victories are turning to defeats. I read a story about Charles Edward Stewart. He was the heir, to the throne of Scotland back in 1745. He went to the highlands of Scotland. He inspired the people because he was tall, handsome, dynamic, leader, charismatic. And he took his people into battle and eventually they lost, many lives were lost. And he fled from Scotland to France and he began to plan and prepare for one day to retake the throne. But he got caught in all sorts of vices. He became an alcoholic. He went through a series of marriages, broken marriages. And he just, in 20 years, none of his friends, former friends, wanted anything to do with him. His story was a tragedy. I think about the story of a great preacher, Robert Robinson. He was converted to Christ during Whitfield's preaching. George Whitfield was a great evangelist in both the United States and, and England, and this man, Robin Robinson, was converted, and he was brilliant. He was saved at 17 years old. Very shortly after, he took a large Baptist church, he wrote several books, he composed songs. One of the songs that he composed was, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the last stanza of that goes, Oh, to grace, greater debtor daily, I constrain to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind me, my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. Well, years later, there was a woman on a coach, and she was looking through a hymn book and she was a young Christian excited about her newfound faith in Christ and she saw this man sitting across from her and he looked rather dreary. He looked depressed and she said, what do you think about this? And she showed him the song and he burst out in tears. He said, I'm the man who wrote it. I've gotten away from God and oh, if I could just go back again. All of us know people who we expected to go far in life, and they didn't. That's what happened in the book of Judges. Instead of going forward in God, they wind up going backward. Instead of making progress, they're caught in this downward spiral. And over 350 years in the book of Judges, you watch the people get further, 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 further further away from God. And in this second introduction, the author wants us to see a theological truth that goes right through the whole book. First, he wants you to look at and notice this. There was a godly generation. Not every generation is the same. I think back in our own history. You read the writings of the Puritans. You read their sermons, their prayers. I mean, you see the fire of God in their heart. And, and then you see as the years go by, that ember of passion for God diminishes. Well, Judges 2.7 begins this section that goes from 2.7 to 3.6, the third chapter, six verse. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. So they all were serving God. There was good leadership there. And all who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel, they had seen the walls of Jericho fall, They had watched God give one victory after another, after another, after another. They had experienced the good promises of God. In fact, Joshua said in the 21st chapter, not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Imagine saying that. All the promises, everything God said, he's done. We've seen it. We've witnessed miracles. We've witnessed the supernatural. God fulfilled his promises for us. And then in the 23rd chapter, now keep this verse in mind because you're going to see the reverse of it at the end of the text that we read in the 3rd chapter and the 2nd chapter. He says to the Jewish people, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Joshua recognized it was God who gave them the victory, God who fought for them, God who protected them, God who intervened for their lives. And so he is overwhelmed. He knows God's power. So does his generation. Now, the text says in verse 6, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. So that's how joshua 24 is ending but judges again is picking up the story bringing us back and saying okay this is what happened then joshua dies and it's interesting because it says when he dies it says they buried him in the land of his inheritance when they throw dust dirt over your coffin and it's the end of your journey wouldn't you like to say i got my inheritance i achieved what god wanted me to achieve." I made a difference. And that's what Joshua was able to say. And the people of that generation too, it says they all went to their inheritance. Here's the key though. It's found in Judges 2.8. This was the epitaph given to Joshua. Didn't have a big record of all of the battles he won, of all of the strategies he developed. It just simply said this. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. What a high accolade. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. There's nothing better that could be said about you than you're serving God, that you're his servant or you're his slave. You're you're listening to his voice. You're following him. And that's what was said of Joshua. It didn't talk about, again, all of the victories. It didn't talk about all of the wars and all of the conflicts. Everything was summed up. He was a servant of the Lord. And because of that, He obtained the promises of God. When we stand before God, it's going to be on how we served him. It's not going to be on other things. It's going to be on how we have served our God. Now, C.S. Lewis said, history is a story written by the finger of God. God wants to co-author your history, your life. He wants to write with you the story of faith and victory and triumph if you'll allow him to. This was a godly generation. That godly generation was marked by seeing the promises of God, seeing things come to pass that only God could do. Now, what happens is that generation dies and there's another generation and the elders die and then you read of a godless generation. You had a godly generation in Joshua and those who followed him, the elders who outlived him. And then you have a godless generation. It says in verse 10, after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, I take that to mean, not that they didn't know the stories of Egypt and the stories of the desert wanderings and the stories of the land of Canaan, but it wasn't real to them. They didn't have a personal relationship with God. It was second-hand faith. It was a nominal faith. There's a saying, a German saying, that a shadow cannot produce a shadow. And if you don't have the real substance, you're really not gonna have an impact. You know that first generation? They knew the Lord, they had a relationship with God, and they influenced that second generation some, but as the generations went down, They got further and further and further away from God. What happened? Well, there was this ongoing cycle that goes on throughout the book of Judges. This ongoing cycle is a cycle of sin and its consequences. There are people who lose the ability to see right from wrong. They call good evil and they call evil good. There was a time in our country where we had a little more discernment, maybe a lot more discernment. I think about how difficult it is now for clergy all over the country if they want to pray in a public meeting to mention the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear Jesus' name in a public prayer. They want a secular prayer without the name of Christ. And that's happening in the south, it's happening in the east and the north, all, all, all over. Our nation is getting further and further and further away from God. You feel this anti-Christian, anti-Christ attitude in our nation. And years ago, decades ago, when I was growing up, I, I remember there was no trouble distinguishing what wrong sexual behavior was. You could say that homosexuality was wrong. Today it becomes hate speech to say it, or they interpret it that way. And and more and more you're seeing people lose their way. This is what's happening here because if it's evil in God's sight, it's evil no matter what people say. See, God doesn't change. Cultures may change and people may change and What happened, obviously, here, the Israelites were changing. They sinned against the Lord. It says they served the Baals. In other words, the gods of the land. They forsook the Lord. Notice they forsake the Lord. It says it twice in that text, verses 11 to 13. And they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherites. They went to the more appealing gods of the land. The Canaanites worshipped various Baals and and Ashtoreths. And those religions were very sensual, attractive to people because they had prostitutes at the temple. They committed all sorts of sins within that temple. And because of that, the Israelites were attracted to it. And they began to forsake God and go after the Baals and the gods of the land. And they became a snare to them. And God is like a jealous husband. Think about Hosea in the Bible who loved his wife and his wife became unfaithful to him and his heart was grieved and God said, that's how I feel about Israel. So what God does after they neglected fellowship with him, they neglected the word of God, they uh, didn't remind themselves of what God had done for them, he had given them so much grace and mercy, it says they are chastised by the Lord. So you see a sin against the Lord, and then in these verses, they're chastised by the Lord. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them. Now in Joshua, the Lord was fighting for them, and now the God of heaven and earth is fighting against them. It's a terrible thing to have God fight against you. Here they are going into battles and they can't win the battles. Here they go into conflicts and they can't win the conflicts. Here they can't, they can't do anything because God has set Himself against them. And it says that the chastisement was heavy, causing them to be defeated. Just as he warned, they were in great distress. Now, if you go down, you see that the people begin to cry out to God. And it says in verses 15 and 18, it says, They were in great distress. The Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who were oppressed and afflicted them. Now, look really carefully at the text. It doesn't say they repented. Now, in Jephthah's time, they repent later on. But here, they just groan. And God is so compassionate. He is so gracious in this dark book where people are going away from God, God's people, he sees their affliction, their pain, and he's moved with compassion. I mean, you see somebody, maybe they're hurting, and they're hurting because of choices they made in their life, and your heart is sometimes moved even though they brought that upon themselves. Well, God is so much more compassionate than any one of us. And so he hears his children, his people who have gone from him and he's moved with compassion upon them. And then what he does is he sends a deliverer. Now this is a pattern that you find throughout the book. They keep on going through this cycle. Then God sends deliverance. He raises up a judge. Now notice it's God that's doing it. Then the Lord's raised up judges who save them out of the hand of these raiders. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived for the Lord had compassion on them. So God mercifully reaches down to them in their pain and in their suffering and he lifts them up. So you see this pattern, they sin, they're chastised, there's distress, they cry out and God delivers them. And then the cycle starts all over again. A judge dies and they get worse off than they were before. Again, you look at our nation, we're far, far from where we were just half a century ago. Our morals, our view of life, the paradigm of which we view life, all of the things that are going on. And things are going to get more and more difficult in our nation. It's just gonna happen. And as that happens, as we've set the course away from God, I know that uh, President Obama, on his first presidential address, said we are no longer a Christian nation, and that's the direction it's been going in. We're no longer a Christian nation. You see the constant persecution against Christians. Billy Graham had uh, an ad out in, uh, I believe it's Charlotte where he lives, that took out a whole full-page ad, and he was saying that gay marriage is not the way to go. And do you know in 15 days, the IRS audited him there was another organization that supported him. And they, too, just... Now, they were cleared of everything because they, you know, are very, they're very conscientious to do things right. There are some things going wrong in our nation, and it is becoming more and more difficult to take a stance for Christ, whether it's a college campus and you want to have a Bible study, whether it's in the public arena and you want to pray in the name of Jesus, where Christians are being labeled as fanatics Well, what's happening is our nation is becoming more and more anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And as Christians, we need to take a stand. And, And we need also not to let the culture shape us into the mold of what it is like today. We need to be able to go against the culture. The Jewish people just didn't think. It seemed like they just got caught in that cycle over and over and over and over again for 350 years. I read a story about Christopher Miller. Anybody hear about Christopher Miller? It was in 1999, he goes into Tom's River, New Jersey, and he robs a shoe store. He gets caught and he gets 15 years in prison. I thought, boy, that was a long time for robbing a shoe store, 15 years. Well, he got out. 15 years later, he went in 25 years of age, he got out at 40. The very next day, he took a bus from Atlantic City to Tom's River, New Jersey, went to the very same shoe store, and he robbed them again. I don't know, the police found him. He was a couple of blocks away with $389 and a couple of cell phones that he took from uh, the employees at the store. And this is what the chief of police said at Tom's River. Chief Mitchell. Maybe prison life is the only life he knows. And the only thing he could think of was going back to the same store and doing the same crime again. Getting caught and going back where he's taken care of and told what to do and getting meals and shelter, everything else. So maybe he was just comfortable in prison. (laughs) Well, sometimes people are comfortable in the prison of their own pain and suffering. Because of the way the unrighteous is hard. It's not easy. So here, Israel's in this constant cycle. One generation, they get all the promises. They have the victory. They're triumphing. The next generation, they're on this downward spiral, going further and further from the Lord. One of the things I often do is pray for and think about our Christian school. It's been my observation that many times, young people raised in a Christian school become hardened to the gospel. I don't know Why? but they often do. They say, well, I've heard it, I've been to chapel. Or many times, young people raised in the church, they become so familiar with the gospel and the preaching of the word that they, they don't respond to it like somebody that's on the outside and comes in and gets saved and they're all excited. We need to pray for our young people. We need to pass on our faith. Now, I don't know what happened to that first generation. Maybe they didn't adequately pass on their faith, but the text doesn't say that. It never blames them. The text puts the blame, it seems to me, more on that generation who just rose up and didn't know the Lord. (laughs) Maybe the stories didn't get beyond here to here. Maybe that story of God delivering them out of Egypt, and God opening the Red Sea, and God bringing down the the walls of Jericho, never really registered deep inside and created in them a hunger for a relationship with God themselves. That's the great, great danger sometimes. Sometimes people take for granted being raised in a Christian home. Bill Moyer said he regretted growing up in a Christian home, a Baptist home, and maybe people have that attitude that they didn't like growing up in a Christian home, but they they miss their heritage. They miss their inheritance. They miss the blessing it is. And maybe that's what happened to these people. But what happens is they get into this terrible cycle. History is an endless repetition of the wrong way of living. It's this repetition of living. They say the one thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. So some people go on the same merry-go-round all of their life. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. They're on the merry-go-round. Never getting anywhere. Just the same thing. And that's what's happening here. Now, I want you to see that God works, though, in every generation. He was working in the godly generation, and he's working in ungodly generations. In... 20 to 21 of chapter 2, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down to their forefathers and not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Now I want you to see that there are two things going on One, you have the intention of God at the very beginning, and then you have another intention of God at the very beginning. One, you see, God was angry with them, so he wasn't going to give them the victory when they try and drive out the Canaanites and the various people of the land who God asked them to fight against. I want you to see that God's original intent wasn't to drive them all out at first anyway, but what he was doing is he was testing them, the necessity of testing if you look at chapter 3, 1, 2, and 4, it says this. These are the nations the Lord left to test the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. They did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites. What God was doing is he was training
0: them the fight. Building in faith. Throughout the history of the nation of Israel, there have been various forms of leadership. From the creator of heaven and earth, to kings, to judges. The book of Judges details the time when God chose judges like Othniel and Deborah to make right ruling in Israel. Join us each day as Pastor Ed shares with us, verse by verse, from the book of Judges. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Visiting the website will also help you stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith. At the website, you'll find today's message for you to listen to again, download, or even post to your Facebook page to share with your family and friends. Again, that's all available when you log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue teaching verse by verse through the Old Testament Book of Judges. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your Word restores,
1: Ed.